Acts 15, you know, um, I don't know if people actually like to come to session meetings and Dickens meetings and all kinds of meetings or General Assembly or Presbytery, but that's what we're reading about in Acts 15. It's the ultimate General Assembly in the first century. So it's the Jerusalem Council. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test mm. by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Mm. Simeon has related God, how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas, with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, 
and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostle and elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling to your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, mm. men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. Mm. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Again? Thanks be Thank you. Amen. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Let's pray. Oh Lord, uh, we thank you this morning as we gather, as your people, uh, that you speak to us and that you have spoken to us now in your word, this amazing story of how you have met with your people throughout the ages. And Lord, we acknowledge that your word isn't just breathed out by you, but it is you breathing now in us and so lord we pray that you would help us to receive your word um, and that by receiving your word we would receive our lord jesus and receive much grace um, grace for ourselves and grace for others we pray lord jesus in your name amen amen so a uh, quick update uh, giorgio's bag has arrived so uh that's good i think in Spain, his bag has arrived, and here in Winston-Salem, we're giving it up for Giorgio's uh, baggage. That is one of the only times that you will find a church giving it up for a pastor's baggage, by the way. Um, but that was a pastor joke. Um, Giorgio's bag arriving, that's, uh, that's grace. That was something, I think it came quicker than he was expecting. And uh, I know that passage, uh, is a lot going on there. Um, but what's central to this passage and what's central to our life with God is God's grace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning um, from, from this word is God's grace. And when I think about the grace of God to us, which is not an idea, 
Uh, it's not something to merely believe, but it is God's active force of his love in our lives. Um, I, think, I think about my story. I want to tell a little bit of story about me and Sarah Jane. Um, it's a little personal, but y'all can't get rid of me now. So, um. <laughs> But this is the story uh, from 2008, long, long ago in 2008, when we almost didn't get married. Um, so Sarah Jane and I uh, were dating and had gotten engaged. Um, I was like, whew, it's happening. Um, she said yes. But we were counseled uh, by someone doing our premarital counseling to talk about our stories with other relationships. And uh, Sarah Jane had a pretty clean record um, with, you know, former relationships, and I did not have anything like a clean record when it came to um, my relationships. We'll leave it at that. I know there's no child care right now, so um, we'll keep it there. And so I, um, we sat down, and I told Sarah Jane uh, everything from my past, my story that I could think of, and my relationships um, with other women to that point. And uh, it was extremely hard um, for her to hear and really hurtful. And um, at the end of that, in tears, she said, I'm not really sure I still want to do this. Um, I'm kind of thrown by thrown for a loop, and I was like, totally. Um, it's like you know, I always thought that when someone knew all my dark secrets, they wouldn't want to be with me anyway. So I uh, figured this was the same. And but she took some time. It took a couple of days, and um, when we we got back together and talked, you know, she said I was talking, I was thinking, and I was praying about um, what you said, and you know, I haven't done the things that you've done. But when I think about why, it's not because I just love God so much. I wanted to be obedient to his word. I just knew girls that did those things, and I didn't want to be like them. And so the only way that either of us get into this marriage clean is through Jesus, uh, or not at all. And she said, I'm, I'm willing to... It's weird because she's there, but... Um, I'm willing to get into this thing with you, with Jesus, if you're willing to get into this thing with me, with Jesus. She chose in that moment to live as if grace is real. That the good news of Jesus is real. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. And that was good news to me. <laughs> really good news. And that good news of God's grace has defined our entire relationship. It is what our entire relationship is built on. And as we come to this passage this morning, you're in church, this might be really normal to you to be in this space. This might be um, something that's new or different for you. But what is necessary to a relationship with God? That's a question that, we, that ought to be in our minds when we enter a space like this. How can someone have a relationship of love with God? What is necessary? Is it something that you do? Is it a way that you live your life? Is it a doctrine that you believe? Is it the kind of things that you watch on TV, the music you listen to? Is it your record? Is it your opinion on something in the news? Is it something that you feel? What is necessary to know God? 
And at the very outset of the church, which is what the book of Acts is all about, the earliest days of the Christian church, that question was central. And from the very beginning, what has been essential to having a relationship with God is God's grace. That we are invited into a relationship with God by grace, that we have good news, that that has always been central. This passage, as Susan said, is, is like a church gathering. It's like, a, like a, it's like the Congress of church. But what they were getting together to figure out is that very question. What is necessary to know God? So here's something to keep in mind. At the very beginning of the church, which was in Israel, every person who was a Christian was also ethnically Jewish. Okay? Every single person that was following Jesus on the planet came from the same ethnic background. And they came to know Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah. They ate Jewish food. They wore Jewish clothing. They worshipped Jesus in the traditions that they already knew. Now, a lot of non-ethnically, non-Jewish folks, people from other ethnic backgrounds, who were in a lot of ways seen as anti-Jewish, are coming to faith in Jesus, and that arises this question. Do you have to become Jewish to become a Christian? Do you have to change your ethnic patterns and traditions and foods to follow Jesus? Do you have to observe all the unique customs of Judaism, like circumcision for males. We just casually talk about circumcision in church, by the way, and move on. It's just a funny part of being in church. Do you have to do those things to really be in the church, or do you just need to know Jesus? And as Paul and Barnabas, these missionaries, are going around the world telling people about Jesus, People are coming behind them. They would go through a town. It's like they would go through Clemens and say, you just need Jesus. And then folks would come behind them and say, yeah, 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 yeah. You need Jesus. You also need to be circumcised and observe the Jewish food laws and all that. And they would go to the next town and it would happen again. So they call together this church council. And again, the question that they're answering, this, I'm belaboring this for a reason, is not whether non-Jewish people could be Christians. They were set on that. But what do they have to do to be Christians? Is a relationship with God just about Jesus, or is there more to it? And that is a question of grace. And this is, a, this is just two points here. And the first is that grace is something that you receive. It's something that happens to you that you accept. Peter says, in the, in the passage, they hear all this going on and Peter starts talking. Peter often likes to talk. And in verse 11, he's, he's talking to this group and he says about the Gentiles, we believed that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. We Jewish men and women believe that we will be saved by God's grace just as these Gentiles will. He even before that says that the if, if a relationship with God is about the customs that you hold, then it's a burden and we're all hopeless. He said in verse 10, it's a yoke. 
keeping all these rules have been things that we haven't been able to bear. Why would we put them on someone else? These sisters and brothers are saved by grace like us because they received the grace of Jesus. Now, that grace is like a church word that we throw around. Does it mean the prayer before you eat? If you're from the South, yes, it does. But what grace is, grace is a gift. Grace is something that you didn't pay for, that you didn't earn. It's something that is given to you for free. That is the meaning of grace. Um, when my kids ask what my favorite uh, holiday is, it's hard. Because on a lot of holidays, you get gifts. But probably my favorite holiday is Halloween. Um, because trick-or-treating is like grace, you know? It's like, remember the first time that you heard about trick-or-treating? And you're like, who's giving away candy? Everyone we know is just giving away candy. <laughs> I'll do anything. That's from a Jerry Seinfeld bit. But you go door to door. I mean, think about what happens. You just show up at your neighbor's house that you don't know and probably don't like. And they give you candy for free. Someone just gives it to you. And that is grace in that it's free and you receive it into your pumpkin-shaped plastic bowl. But it's not as powerful as the grace of Jesus. I was telling my kids a few years ago about that prank, you know, where like you put dog poop in a, in a paper bag and you light it on fire and leave it on someone's doorstep and you ring the doorbell, right? And uh, because this is the kind of stuff that when you hear about it for the first time as a kid, like Halloween, you're like, wait a second, <laughs> people do that. Um, and they do do that. They do do that. Um, <laughs> you know, because you light the bag of, of, uh, of, of dog stuff and then they have to stomp it out, right? It's a terrible prank. Don't do that. And my kids ran, ran with this and they were saying like, you know, you could put a baby's diaper, you know, and sprinkle M&Ms on it and light it on fire, and then they have to step it out because they were conflating it with Halloween. And then they were very concerned because what if a dog comes along and eats the M&Ms, and then the dog catches on fire? Um, these are some of my favorite dinner table conversations. You know, they're, they're imagining this person who opens their door and their dog is on fire and they have flaming poop on their on their. And then my one daughter said, and then the dog's mouth will be all full of colors because of the M&M's. Um, now ima imagine you're that person, okay? And you have the, 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 the flaming dog, the flaming poop, and there's someone standing there. And what you do in response is you give them candy. You don't call the cops, but you give them all of your candy. That begins to move us into the realm of what grace means in terms of God's grace. Grace is not something that you just, not, that's just unearned, but it's something that it's a completely, ridiculously extravagant considering the offense. If you gave someone candy in that moment, you are operating by grace and not by judgment. Grace is sweetness when you have earned bitterness. And of course, the place that we see this most powerfully is our Lord Jesus at the cross. Our Lord Jesus who has been abandoned, betrayed, beaten, and mocked, yet giving himself freely for those who have abandoned 
betrayed, beaten, and mocked him. Giving life when he was given death. To rescue those very people from the divine consequences of their actions. Giving himself for people like us who honestly just aren't nearly as interested in our Lord Jesus as we are in taking care of our own business. And here's part of why the the grace of Jesus is powerful to us when it comes to the question of what must we do to know God. Uh, It's because we're under tremendous pressure. You're under tremendous pressure to prove yourself. Um, This is an Encanto. I know, it's always a Disney thing. Um, uh, One of my favorite parts of Encanto is when Louisa sings Surface Pressure. If you haven't seen the movie, see it. And she's talking about she's really strong. She has this super power of being strong. But how much inside, how much pressure she's under. And there's this line, about once a month, if I listen to Disney music with my kids, I start weeping uncontrollably. And I said something about my emotional space. But we were listening to it the other day, and I started crying because she has this line where she says, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Uh, That resonated with me, and I I think it probably resonates with you in some way, that we feel as if unless we are offering something to others or to ourselves, we have no worth. When you're alone and you're quiet in bed, Thoughts swirl around. You feel attacked from the inside out. And you can't stop thinking about all these things. And sometimes you can't make yourself feel better. And in those moments, Jesus is calling to us to meet with us, to tell us that he is enough, that he actually gives us everything that we need to be free. Um, another story about Sarah Jane. When we were early on in our married life, I think we were in seminary. We were in seminary. Sarah Jane was working at a place, and they had a Christmas party. And at the Christmas party, there was trivia. And if you won the trivia, you got to go in this machine that blew cash all around. And you had 60 seconds to grab as much cash as you could. And it was awesome because she won, and she got to go into the money blower machine. And but she was smart that night. And she had worn a, a, a flowy dress. And uh, she, oh, extreme, thank you. Extremely pregnant, FYI, okay? Um, this was in December, and Georgia was born in January, okay? So she was very pregnant, and uh, thanks for that detail. And uh, so they gave her a pair of pajama pants that she put on, and she got into the money blower machine. And, uh, you know, a couple of people have gone before, and they're kind of like trying to snatch it or whatever. They fired that thing up, and there's like, it's mostly ones, but there was like a hundred in there and some twenties, and she just took that dress and went, <laughs> and she held it out until all the money in the machine was in the dress, and then she cinched it up, <laughs> and she took all the money. That's my dude. <clears throat> Jesus meets us. in in a sense to say, all the riches of the kindness of God, just receive it. Just open up and take it all in. Uh, I think we have weird ways in the church of suggesting 
that you have to get your stuff together in order to know Jesus. We have like these weird unspoken things about like that you're supposed to have like a certain political opinion or you're supposed to eat only a certain brand of chicken sandwiches. Um, sorry, Travis. Um, you're supposed to spend time with certain people. You're supposed to use words like encouraged, poured into, convicted, you know, words that you only use in church, listen to certain music. And those things uh, are, 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 are real and we feel them. But the only hope that any of us have in knowing God is because of Jesus. It's because of the grace that he just pours out to us that he loves to do and we simply receive it, no strings attached. Life with God is completely free. And it's also the only true freedom. Because in Christ, God does not count your sins against you. He removes them from you in Christ because of his his death and resurrection. And he's taken it all away. And so the question for us this morning is, do you want to be free? Do you want to live in freedom? Freedom from regret. Freedom from the fear of failure. In, in, in sort of reflecting on grace and reflecting on the story, um, Sarah Jane and I's engagement, you know, my failures previous to our relationship were not just these isolated things. They actually hurt her. They weren't just like, well, I know you've done these things. They were actually things that, that deeply affected her because some of them weren't these long past things and I had gotten my life together. They were in recent history. That was the hurt and the betrayal. And this is the grace that Jesus gives to us, that he personally is, is, is hurt and wounded by our betrayal of him, and yet he gives us grace. And when she gave me that grace, what it gave me was freedom. Actually, freedom to move into our relationship to know that I would fail but that she already knew these things and that she, she loved me anyway. And confidence because I knew that our relationship didn't hinge on my ability to do well, but on grace. It also didn't hinge on her ability to do well. Um, so grace is something you receive, but I want to bring this down, our time down, that grace is something that you give. Because the question is, as they're telling these Gentile Christians, look, you don't have to keep all these rules. You don't have to become uh, culturally Jewish. You just receive the grace of God. They write them a letter, and then they give them some restrictions. So, so why, why do they do that? They tell them to, to stay away from things sacrificed to idols, things that have been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Why, if it's all grace, then why are there these things that they're not supposed to do? Uh, it's, it's simple. Gentile people, many Gentile people, would have been involved in pagan temple worship, which often involved animal sacrifice to false gods, drinking blood, and actually ritual sexual practices with temple prostitutes. So for people from a Jewish background who were Christians those things would have been equated with unbelief. They would say, if you do any of those things, you, you don't believe. I cannot take your faith seriously at all. And so when they write this letter to Gentile Christians, first they acknowledge that they have been wronged. 
some people came to you and they, they troubled you with things. And that was wrong. But second, they asked them to live by grace. They say, you, you get this relationship with God and it's all grace. And it's not just something that you receive. It's actually something that, that you receive and you give back to the people around you. It's a way of living your life. They're simply saying, don't put anything in the way of your life with brothers and sisters from a Jewish background. Don't make it hard for them to eat with you. Don't make it hard for them to take you seriously. And then he's saying to the Jewish Christians, don't put a barrier between these people and Jesus. And he's saying to the Gentile Christians, don't put a barrier between you and your brothers and sisters. Grace removes barriers. Grace brings unity. Basically what he's saying is, Live like Jesus is your only hope. Not the way that you live your life, but Jesus. Because, y'all, if, if grace is the operating principle of all reality, if this is how God actually deals with us, that he doesn't count our record against us, but gives us his love for free and just asks us to receive it, if it's the gas that the universe runs on, then we are at our happiest and most human when we live by grace, when we live the way that God does, when we treat others the way God treats us. Free grace changes us. Your dress is full of cash. <laughs> it's all gathered up. Live free. Give it freely. Spend it freely. Why do you need to keep a record of wrongs for yourself or for others? Don't slow one another down on the way to Jesus. Remove barriers and apply love. Because receiving grace frees us to extend grace. That is the true freedom that grace really... We have a freedom with God that we are known and loved and set free by the grace of Jesus. And we're also free to love one another. Not to do what you want, because that is the most boring thing on the planet. If you've ever organized your life around just living the way you want, getting what you want, it's pretty boring pretty fast. But what's not boring is actually giving life to other people, showing up with your full self and showing up for them. I heard an uh, uh, expert on the Yiddish dialect yesterday, and she said, the difference between a language and a dialect is that a language is a dialect with an army. The difference between a, a language and a dialect is that a dialect is a language, that a language is a dialect with an army. And when I heard that, I was just like, we have this dialect of grace, and the power, the army of that that makes it a language is Jesus. That when we talk to each other the way that Jesus talks to us, he brings this power power that reconciles us, that helps us to live in love and in freedom, to put it into action. Because, again, what, what Sarah Jane's grace to me, which was the grace of Jesus given to her and then given to me, it did not set me free to live however I wanted or do whatever I liked, to run back to my old lovers, to bring that stuff up and remind her of it. On the contrary, it set me free 
to love her and give her life to show up in a new way. Because the old things just are silly by comparison. And I was free to put them away forever because there was something so much better. And the question that, um, as we move to the table, um, is don't, don't you want to love well? To love freely? Aren't you tired of keeping score on yourself and on others? Uh, if so, there's grace for that. Everyone's milling around, so this is the time to, to stop. Um, but before we, before we move to the table, I just want to take a, a moment um, of, of prayer, a season of prayer, uh, as, we, as we come to the table. So um, there's just a lot going on, it's a lot uh, on our hearts, and so I just want to take uh, a moment um, to invite you into a season of prayer. Oh, Lord, uh, our hearts um, break and grieve when we think about um, children lost at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, when we think about um, older saints, brothers and sisters, killed shopping for groceries, um, when we think about a, a, a dear brother who's a pastor um, killed at church. And Lord, we, we don't know what to say or what to do, but we grieve as you grieve. And so we just pray, come Lord Jesus. Show us how to be courageous. Help us to weep with those who weep. Lord, we, we, we know a like pain. And so, though we just lift up um, families, communities, especially in Uvalde and in Buffalo and in Southern California who are reeling, and pray, Lord Jesus, that you, the one full of grace and power, would show up Lord, we lament before you. We pray for your power. And Lord Jesus, we just pray that you, that you would come. Come back. Lord, we're tired. Um, we long for you. To make all things new, to make all things right. Because you're the only one that can make something like this new and right, and we can't. And so, Lord, come and do things that we can't imagine. Come, please be with us. Please come again and do away with all this death. And Lord, um, as we come to the table, we remember that we are part of a global church. We come to table with our sisters and brothers throughout the world, and even some of our sisters and brothers from Redeemer who are in Spain, with all these cross-cultural workers gathering, we pray encouragement for them, grace for them, protection for them. Um, even as there's so many bumps in the road already, Lord, would you be near them? Would they sense your presence and know that you have them there? Holy Spirit, show up to them and show up to us now as we gather around your table. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name.